guys, and welcome to the HIV Positive and Shameless Show. My name is Jocelyn Meeks. I'm your host and advocate for living shamelessly with HIV. I want to invite you to join my mailing list if you enjoy this episode and would like to hear more. I'm open to topic suggestions as well, so feel free to drop them in a review. This show is focused on openly discussing your diagnosis and status, eradicating shame, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable when you need to. My hope is for this show to uplift my sisters and let them know that they are not alone on this journey to acceptance of self. Together, we will take back your power. Let's get right into it, y'all. For the first episode, I would like to share my own story of being diagnosed HIV positive and how the initial diagnosis affected me. In around August of 2011, I began dating a thug-type guy. Uh, we became exclusive and were in what I assumed to be a committed relationship. As the relationship progressed, I began to get an uneasy gut feeling about my sexual health just by the way his behavior changed and because we were having unprotected sex. And at the time, I was still breastfeeding my one-year-old son and wanted to make sure we were okay. So I went to my family doctor and requested to be tested for everything. So my test results came back positive for not only HIV, but gonorrhea as well. I was so in denial and utterly devastated that I asked for the test to be run again. But I asked this time if I could bring my partner to be tested with me. So my doc okayed it and, you know, after treating me for the gonorrhea and said he would do it for free for the both of us. So I go and ask my boyfriend to come get tested with me. And he says, yes, he agrees to it. So at this point, I'm like, well, maybe I got this before him, you know, because I'll be honest and say that my sexual activity has not always been safe. So, yeah, I don't think he would have even agreed to go. This is what I'm thinking at this point. If he knew he infected me. So I kind of started freaking out. I uh, didn't sleep at all the night before the appointment. And so we get there. And he waits inside with me, you know, for us to be called. But as soon as the doctor calls us back, he leaves out. And unbeknownst to me, he done arranged a ride for one of his brothers to pick him up. Yeah. My wheels really get to spinning now. So I go along with my retest and get the same results, of course. So my doctor goes over the next steps with me regarding treatment and also tells me that I have to report myself to the health department as HIV positive and give account for all the sex partners I have had within that that past year. I felt criminalized almost instead of victimized and the shame and disgust just instantly washed over me. So the next day, I head I head down to the local health department. With my head just hung low. I check in and I get placed with the health investigator, child who couldn't have been less suited for the job. Like she was rude and very apathetic. Like she was judgmental of the seven names I jotted down on my partner list for that year, and. She complained of her feet hurting and took her shoes off, y'all, and let the funk of 40,000 years permeate the room. So to add insult to injury, she then decides it's a great idea to make sure that the information on my partners is correct 
and calls one right in front of me on speakerphone. She tells him that someone has given his name in correlation to their HIV diagnosis and that he needs to come in for testing. He immediately goes into a rage and a barrage of questions, and I just immediately burst into tears and I'm ready to vomit from the funk at this point. So she ends the call and looks at me and just shakes her head, and she doesn't offer not one word of comfort or encouragement. And she just directs me to the peer counselors who get me, you know, set up on the Ryan White program that assists with care. And the nurse there also recommended me to an an infectious disease practice for me to begin my treatment with. And so my experience with the peer counselors was a little bit more comforting because one of the young ladies was positive as well. But as a whole, I was just completely over it and so defeated by the end of that day. And um, it was it was a lot. But I begrudgingly accepted my HIV positive diagnosis. And this was October of 2011. I was nowhere near done compiling trauma, though. I felt as though it was my duty to break the cycle and not to do to the partners on my list what was done to me. So I called each of them on my own and disclosed my status myself and advised and pleaded with them to get tested. And I was met with an array of responses, like some people hung up on me and was met with just silence and... You know, people stopped talking to me because of it, but I did it. I told them. They can't say that it was something that I kept from them, and I didn't allow the health department to do my dirty work. So, uh, also, as I said before, I I was still breastfeeding my son, which means I got to get him tested too, right? Okay, yeah. And he was, at the time, and is currently a sickle cell patient at St. Jude, and I was advised to report it to them and have him tested there. And I was so embarrassed. Like, my baby already is sickly, you know, and dealing with what he's dealing with, and then I potentially have exposed him to something else. But praise be to God that my baby's results came back negative, and breastfeeding came to a screeching halt. That was very hard for me. But my son's well-being mattered more. Along with having my son tested came disclosing my status to my loved ones because I knew this was something I couldn't handle alone. Everyone I disclosed to in my family had different reactions, but overall they gave me their love and support. My grandmothers and mother went with me to my first infectious disease appointment and were great, really, really great at asking questions and filling in blanks that I couldn't because, honestly, I was slipping down into depression and was really kind of numb and just everything was a blur at this point. And I'm so grateful that they were there for me. My viral load at that appointment, the first one was in the low uh, 700s, and my CD4 count was in the mid to high 300s, which meant I had caught it early. And I'm also proud to say that within three months of this diagnosis, I was deemed undetectable and have maintained that status to date almost eight years later. 
And so I'm really proud of that. And that has been something that has been really important to me, you know, to maintain that undetectable status for so long. And now I'm sure y'all are wondering if I ever told my partner at the time who left the doctor's office. Well, yes, I did. And this is where the trauma kind of hit the hardest. And please bear with me. I I do still get emotional at times telling my story. But uh, I finally got up the nerve to tell him. And it had to be face-to-face. So I go to his house, and we step outside along to talk, and I just blurt it out. You know, tears are streaming down my face, but I said, "I'm, I'm HIV positive. And... I'm standing there, like, waiting to get cursed out or (laughs) slapped, kicked, punched. Because, like I said, he was a thug and into some thug-type shit. So I expected the worst. Y'all, not only did this man cry with me and hug me, but he said, I'm sorry. And at this point, something kind of snapped in me. And I remember taking my son back home, saying I'll be back so we can chill and continue to talk alone. I went back, and some of our mutual friends had shown up as well. Everybody laughing and drinking and partaking, if you know what I mean. And I'm just sitting there, I'm stuck, because it had finally hit me that he infected me knowingly. Like, you knew you had that shit, and you gave it to me. And I basically had a psychotic break right there in front of everybody. Uh, I asked him to come outside and talk, and in that moment, it it went black. Like, I kind of blacked out. But when I came to, I'm back inside the house, and the paramedics and the crisis intervention team on the police force have been called, and... After my experience with my first psychotic break, you know, I had postpartum psychosis after I had my son. But that's, I'll get back to that. But I knew I wasn't getting in the ambulance because I didn't want to be shot up with the hell dog. So I chose to go with the crisis intervention team to be transported by police car to the mental hospital. And it was bad, y'all. They put me in the handcuffs and, like... I said I wanted to go with them, but then once I got in the handcuffs, I was like, no, y'all can't take me. It was just, it was just bad. It was just, it was ugly and it was traumatic. And I was hallucinating and like I was, I was really losing my grip with reality. Like it was bad. And once they could calm me down enough to talk coherently, uh, my family was notified where I was, and then I was transported to Lakeside Mental Health Facility. I was there for two weeks. I missed Thanksgiving with my family, my little baby boy, and they came to see me. But I was so, <laughs> I was so drugged up because I was very com- combative and still very paranoid for a few days. Like I didn't sleep. For I didn't sleep, eat, drink, piss or shit for 48 hours because I ain't trust nothing. I just stood there and 
they tried to, you know, come in and talk to me. I just, I lost it, and they would have to shoot me up or something. So when my family came to see me for Thanksgiving, I was just too out of it to even communicate and was falling asleep, and they had to take me back to my room. I finally got compliant with taking the regular medication daily and was able to be moved to the regular war for people who were getting ready to progress out. Now, this was kind of a catch-22 because little did I know that I had disassociated with the part of me, the part of my brain that had put two and two together about him infecting me. And I had become this zombie-like version of myself that had no recollection whatsoever of the events that occurred. But on the other hand, I was closer to being released and back with my young son. I was able to use the phone on this ward. And, y'all, I began reaching out to my partner. I'm trying to get him to tell me what happened because I can't remember anything between asking him to come outside and talk and then getting taken away. Like, it was all just blank in between that. So, I guess he thinking, you know, I'm in the clear. She don't remember. So, he arranges to come visit me and ends up telling me some lie. And I'm eating it up. And I guess divine intervention stepped in and took over because I'm trying to, you know, talk to him and ask questions. And... My tongue swell up, just swells to the point where I can't even talk. It was just, just tongue. <laughs> and, you know, they took me away, gave me some Benadryl, and they thought I was having an allergic reaction to one of the medicines. But I really think that that was divine. Just shut up, girl, and get away from him. But when I got out, I, I continued to deal with him under the guise of trying to get closure. But I had already received that closure. I just couldn't remember. And I was very sick still, very sick mentally. And the things that I did to get my closure the second time around, those memories still kind of haunt me. Um, And I get deeper into that maybe in episodes to come. But I eventually came to realize that our mutual friends and his family all knew the truth and decided to keep me out of the loop. And in that time of me still dealing with him, I tried to get him to seek treatment. He decided to instead lie and say that he had sickle cell disease when my baby got sickle cell disease. And I know all there is to know about the signs and the side effects and what just the symptoms is what I mean, not side effects. But what it looks like to have sickle cell disease, you don't have sickle cell. And so after that lie and the hindsight of all the shady behaviors with his quote-unquote homeboys on top of the backstabbing from my so-called best friend at the time, it just all became too toxic to keep being around them. So I just disappeared and stopped answering phone calls, stopped calling, um, things like that. And so around uh, 2013, <sighs> I went to Lakeside one more time, but this time it was voluntary. 
because I hate dissociated disassociated yet again because I was just having a, a hard time coping and trying to continue with a normal life after this like it really it was something it did something to me it was very damaging and I cut off all my hair and I fell into this deep rabbit hole excuse me of researching homosexuality and gang culture and my findings were a very hard pill to swallow and I just became this whole other personality and I was talking to my grandmother and she is a she's a retired mental health nurse and she was like Jocelyn I think you need to go see somebody again I think you need to talk to somebody again so I ended up um going to Lakeside voluntarily and got into their outpatient group therapy. And group therapy was a little bit too much because I began trying to help everybody else instead of helping myself. (laughs) So I ended up eventually finding my own therapist outside of Lakeside. And she was the one that helped me to access the remainder of my memories from that night. And I had to live it all over again. So she helped me to cope with that reliving of that trauma yet again. It's like I went through this three times and <laughs> my partner during that year he tried reaching out to me through like Facebook Messenger and but I was ready for him this time. Like he still thought that I didn't remember exactly what happened and I called him out on it and you know, he got mad and started lying again and was referring to himself in third person. So go figure on that. But, you know, he was just saying, you know, he didn't have to lie about something that he didn't have. And I was just like, whatever, at this point, you know, just why are you talking to me? So I just cut him off, blocked him on everything. He had no way of getting in contact with me. He had my phone number. I changed my number, uh, blocked him on all my social media, which was I wasn't on a lot of social media back then. But especially I do remember blocking him on Facebook uh, and Instagram. So a few months later, I get a phone call from that aforementioned so-called best friend stating that he had passed away. And she wanted to know if I would be attending the funeral. I stated no, and she incredulously asked me why, and I said I won't be made a fool of again. You know, I don't know what he told his family or or what, but no, not going. I don't need that trigger. I don't. I don't need that. The I did ask her a question, and I asked her, "Did he die? Still living a lie?" And she told me that he finally told his mom that he had HIV on his deathbed. And I said, well, at least he told somebody the truth. And I got off the phone. Uh, I remember I said a prayer for him and for my mental health because she slightly triggered me. I wasn't expecting that phone call. But I, I was able to move on with my day. I couldn't help but think, though, you know, a lot of times, not just from that phone call, but when he would cross my mind, I just 
it bothered me that if he had just lived in his truth and told the truth and gotten the help that he needed, he probably would still be alive today like me. But it wasn't up to me to save him. He had to say he had to want to save himself. And I guess he did it, you know. But I'm going on year eight of still living. And I tell you, it's been a hell of a road thus far, but I'm still here. And I made a vow to myself that I will always disclose my status to any future partner I would have so that that person could have a choice unlike I did. That choice was taken away from me just because he chose not to tell me. And I even had another baby uh, via C-section in November of 2014, and she was born negative all because I was open with not only my partner, her father, but with my OBGYN, and I stayed on my treatment. Now, however, even though I was transparent with her father when I told him I was pregnant, he used that against me to justify me getting an abortion, claiming that he didn't want to take care of a sick child. And I told him, do some research, first of all. Educate yourself. And I also told him, I said, I don't need you. I, I've, I've raised one. I can do another one. I take it. I take care of this on my own, and I said, I said, negative children are born to positive mothers every day, but that's a big problem that I have with our people, with black people in 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 this community. When we're the most affected ones, they don't want to educate themselves. So here we go again. I'm triggered again because, like, he knew, and I just wasn't expecting that reaction to being told that we were going to have a baby. But I had my baby, and she's fine and sassy and on my nerves. <laughs> um, but I, I just, that was that was a hard pill for him to, to tell me that. Like, and, it, it, and I took it as a shot to my son, too, being sickly. Like, that's how you really going to talk to me. You know, but I did what I needed to do, and we are better co-parents now. He just, like I said, needed to educate himself. But back to me, that did something to me. And I had lost touch with the therapist that I was seeing that helped me access those memories. She literally just disappeared. Like, I couldn't reach her anymore. I go to, went to the office to see if I could just, you know, try to schedule an appointment. The name was gone off her door, everything. It was just like, where did she go? But I guess her season in my life passed or whatever. But I wasn't really quite ready to try to get comfortable with a new therapist. But I got laid off from my job five months after being promoted on that job. And I was getting to a point where coping was just becoming extremely difficult again with two small children now as a single mother. So I had gone back to school full time online while I was while I was working full time and pregnant. And I had maintained a 4.0 and I was an applied behavioral science major, but I had to stop going once she was born because I couldn't keep up. And 
that was depressing me. Like I was like, I, I'm trying to better myself, and then I get keep I keep getting knocked down. And so I was still living with family at this point and sharing a room with my daughter. My son had a room. It was just it was tight. <laughs> and it was just becoming increasingly clear that I needed my own space and I needed someone to talk to that was not biased to me. I needed a professional. But it wasn't until 2016 that I got introduced to Hope House Memphis and I found my counselor whom I love dearly, Jessica, and I got linked up initially just because I needed a mattress and they were giving them away to people living with HIV. So my mom got me the info through word of mouth and I went and met with Jessica and I was apprehensive at first because I was still struggling you know, with talking about my status just aside from disclosing during dating, you know, as I vowed to do, because I just never know what kind of reaction, what kind of response I would get. But she had the warmest and most inviting spirit I had come across in a while. And before I knew it, I had talked to her for two hours told her more of my story than I had ever shared, and I became a client that day. And not only did I get that new mattress, which is a beautiful mattress, and I still have my mattress, (laughs) but they helped me get a house, like, y'all, a house for me and my babies. Everybody got their own room. My daughter is in their childcare. She went from the the daycare to the preschool and she just blossomed there and I also had someone in Jessica to guide me through my anniversary month of October which I didn't know this was a thing until I started going to Hope House like I could never figure out all these all those years leading up to that why every October and throughout the whole fall that I just hated existing. Like, I would be so depressed and so mean and so withdrawn, not realizing that, duh, it's your anniversary of your diagnosis. Like, it's like grieving a death. And a part of me died in October of 2011. Like, I could never figure out why my anxiety and depression would just skyrocket, but she helped me to pick it apart. And so October of last year, 2018, I gave my first very public account of my story and how I came to find Hope House. And this was at their Unwind for Hope women's event, the fundraising event. And they asked me, to be the keynote speaker, and I just, I knew it was something that I needed to do. I had been talking to Jessica in my sessions about wanting to be more outspoken and speaking out about my advocacy and just telling my story so that women who look like me would know that there was somebody out there like them that could relate to them, but they didn't have to hide in the shadows because Until very recently, I didn't see anybody that looked like me talking about what I was going through. 
So that became something that was imperative to me to do. And then they asked me to be the speaker for this event. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I just, I had to go ahead and rip the bandaid off of fully living in my truth, living with HIV. But (laughs) my anxiety was just shot through the roof over having to get up and talk in front of people like this for the first time and for to to talk about what I was going to talk about. And I was shaking and sick in my stomach up until the moment that it was time for me to speak. Like I had to call Jessica while I was writing my speech and cuz I was just having breakdowns and I was getting triggered of taking myself back to that place and up until the moment and I you know they had wine at the event so I was drinking my share trying to calm my nerves and then finally it was it was my time and I just said you know what fuck it it's time I need to do it and this calm came over me and I was like I'm gonna go live on my phone so People that couldn't come. I had invited coworkers, you know, people that were intimate enough with me that I shared already my status and, you know, what Hope House was for me and doing for me just to start getting some education, start the narrative going. So I was like, I'm going to go live. And my best friend was there. My true best friend was there. And so I went, set up my live on Facebook Live gave her the phone. I was like, I need you to record me. And she did it. And not only did I go live, but I shared it publicly. I made it public on Facebook. And I just did it. And yeah, I got emotional as I was reading my story, but it was real. And it was genuine. And it was me. And it was my story. I didn't have nobody else trying to tell my story for me. It was me. And when I tell you that there was not a dry eye in sight once I was done, including my face being wet, and this monumental weight had just had been lifted off my shoulders, and I felt so free and empowered, and I didn't know what kind of, you know, responses to expect or reactions to expect, but I was showered with so much love and support at the event and in the comments on my live. And in, and I have yet to receive any negative feedback. And it's been almost a year since that post. And I tried to keep going with doing videos. But <laughs> me and videos, just, it's, it's very uncomfortable for me. And as one of the women in our podcast group stated, like, I just did a fucking pair. <laughs> and I did. I did. But um, I'm back. And this platform, it, it feels very, very right. And so I can't wait to dig deeper into my experience of living with HIV in coming episodes and get to know some other women on this journey. Um, want to be doing some interviews. And that's all I have for right now. And I want to thank you all for letting me share a piece of myself with you today. And I hope that I at least touched one soul, you know, and resonated with at least one that will hopefully tell somebody else to come and listen. 
So until next time, loves. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and were able to learn a little something as well. To my fellow positive sisters, I love you. You are powerful and beautiful beyond measure. We are not and will not be defined by our status. We will, however, live, love, and laugh unapologetically and shamelessly. Thanks for listening, you guys. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and drop a review. Peace.